0: Hi everyone, I'm JJ Hornblass and welcome to Fintech Unfiltered from Bank Innovation, the leading digital news service on banking and fintech. This is our weekly wrap for what's happening in Banking Innovation for the week of August 17, 2020. I want to thank our Bank Innovation advertisers. Before we continue, Mambu lend and Kunai for their support, so thank you to them, and I am happy to be joined by Bianca Chan from Bank Innovation and John Dobson from uh, Payrex, a, one of the founders of Payrex, an international payments fintech startup. Welcome to you both. It is Friday, August 21. Uh, this was a week marked by uh, Joe Biden's acceptance of the... Democratic Party nomination for president, and as well as um, unexpected an unexpected increase in unemployment in the unemployment rate this week, as numbers of those filing for unemployment uh, jumped over 1.1 million yet again. So, uh, some disappointing news on the economic front, um, but on the banking side. Uh, we took a look at an area of uh, banking innovation that seems to uh, be lagging uh, expectations or hopes, and that's uh, in, in regards to open banking um, in the U.S. Uh, financial services market. Um, so, Bianca, maybe you could start by uh, giving us some background on, on what we found on the state of open banking today in the U.S., Um, Where are some of the shortcomings and why there is uh, still no uh, real regulatory framework uh, for enforcing open banking in the U.S.?
1: Yeah, sure. So um, we took a look at some of the regulations and policies around open banking and found that um, part of the Dodd-Frank Act, um, Section 1033, says that you know, consumers should have the right to share and access their financial data. So it's a little bit confusing. There's a bit of a gray area because even though it was enacted, you know, 10 years ago, there's still no ma- There's still no uh, policy or, or law that kind of mandates that financial institutions need to give consumers the access. It's still this gray area. And what we've seen in the U.S. is that it's a largely market driven kind of approach to regulation, which basically means that the industry players um, prompted by, I guess, customer preference, um, want to provide this type of service, but there's no regulation that kind of mandates, you know, what kind of information it needs to be shared or what what it covers um, and, you know, who it's shared with. So you're seeing in the industry a lot of of banks, actually, that we spoke to are really down with open banking. They want it um, and they want to leverage that fintech ecosystem, but since there's no regulation to kind of mandate what the practice should look like for everyone, you're seeing this kind of varied approach where some banks will um, share their, the, their consumers' financial data with other third parties, but not with others. Um, and the other kind of interesting thing to think about here is banks are already such a regulated space that the existing kind of consumer data privacy and regulations around that are likely to kind of already cover um consumer privacy concerns and so something you know there's there's no point in extra regulations because all of our concerns are already covered so it just sounds like this huge gray area
0: so john so maybe before getting into kind of you know some of your views on open banking maybe start by uh telling us a little bit about payrex and kind of how uh open architecture um uh, plays into the, the Playrex uh, strategy and, and, and technology approach.
2: Yeah, so uh, thanks so much for, for having me uh, today. So, you know, at Payrex, our goal is to create um, innovative solutions that, that help banks provide a better customer experience, right? Reduce costs on their end, both in terms of technology spend and operational costs, and then also generate new streams of revenue from products that they otherwise wouldn't be able to develop on their own. So that's a little bit about what we do and how we fit um, with banks. You know, and I think what we see is there are a lot of banks out there that have, um, you know, that want to bring more services to their customers. They simply don't have the budget or the resources to do that. And so we believe that, you know, partnering with FinTechs provides a great opportunity for them to bring a tremendous customer experience with new tools and services without the bank having to expend a ton of cash to dedicate resources to build new solutions on their own, they can partner with people that have dedicated their entire company to creating those those solutions and a great customer experience for their customers.
0: So when you hear about these uh, shortcomings in uh, the open banking, either uh, regulatory infrastructure or, or kind of the, the barriers to that... Uh, I mean if you were to divine a regulatory infrastructure and I know John you could do it <laughs> uh, if, you know what would that look like I mean like would it look like the the framework that they have in in Europe in the sense that that banks are are forced um, you know really they, they have been forced into it um, or or is there some other me- I mean What would, from your, your, I mean, you've worked at bank, in banking. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: Kind of a unique experience.
2: Yeah. So if I'm given the opportunity to divine, um, you know, regulatory structures, I would say I used my wish with the genie very poorly. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But, um, but if I were given that opportunity, you know, I, It's difficult because I know the banks struggle, you know, with a laundry list of things that they need to do to meet their regulatory requirements. Um, And, and that's true, whether it's a community bank and a, um, you know, or a credit union or it's, you know, Wells Fargo and JP Morgan and B of A, they're spending tremendous amount of resources trying to keep up with the current, you know, regulatory environment. The challenge is without, without some of those regulations, um, it's easy for them to say, we really like this idea. We'll get to it next year. And so with without their hand being forced a little bit, I think it's always going to lag. And that gives the opportunity for entrepreneurs like myself to go to them and say, wait, there's real value in doing this now. And we can show you that value right away. So before you make the investment in creating the structure that, that FinTechs can come in and and partner and gain access to this data, we can show you ways that this can benefit your bank either by reducing operational expenses, um, you know, eliminating manual processes um, or driving a better experience from your customers to keep them away from larger institutions that that do have the resources to provide these experiences. So, you know, it's hard to say throw more regulation on the banks because I know they're drowning in it already and I know they're trying to keep up financially already with the technology requirements, the regulatory requirements that they currently have. So I feel like it falls on us as the entrepreneur to make a compelling case to them that there is a better way to serve your customer. And these partnerships and, and pushing towards more, you know, open banking architecture um, is that way. And that's the way that, that you can serve both the customer the best and your and your bank, your shareholders. And
0: So Bianca, I mean, you saw there's definitely you, you listen you hear what john says and there's clearly like a delta right like so so in other words you, you know the value that john is suggesting is is reasonable right that's a reasonable argument john and 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 also in our reporting we found that there are financial institutions that are sort of good to go right they want to go so is this a spend issue is it, a, um, is it a culture issue? If, if the value argument is there, and, and the inclination is there, so why hasn't there been enough of a meeting uh, of those two drivers that will result in kind of more pervasive um, uh, open banking opportunities and solutions?
1: Right, well, it's interesting because the market-driven approach that we've had at least from what we've heard from the banks and you know the data aggregators and lawyers that we spoke to is that it's a customer centric kind of driven approach as in that is to say you know it's not the regulators that are enfor- like forcing the banks to pick this up and um, i mean it also it basically just means that everything is being done in the customer's point of view and regardless i mean despite the fact that the us doesn't have any kind of mandate that forces open banking it's still seen from from the sources that we've spoken to, it's still seen as an industry leader in open banking practices. So maybe the idea is that the market-driven approach is kind of the way to go and, and uh, the regulation is not necessarily needed.
0: I mean, John, do you buy that? Like, here's the <laughs> question. Let me, let me say it this way. Uh, let me phrase it more specifically. So, I, I mean, I think that there is there has been tension built between the financial institutions and the aggregators that have essentially gone out and said, you know, we can, we can you know, we can siphon data um, with customer uh, permission. And that kind of sometimes, you know, puts, puts the, the end user of that data at odds with the financial institution or at least the financial institutions business model i mean is you know like this kind of pushback i mean have you seen this as well and do you think that is it really customer driven or is it more that there is um there's a you know friction from you know some of the from these data aggregators um you know and their behavior over the last several years
2: i think um i think banks are not natural um agents of change. And I think, you know, their first, their first responsibility is safety and security. And that is not a responsibility that lends itself to, um, to innovation. And so, you know, and also as we, you know, having worked at two large banks, um, working with a lot of banks in my new role, you know, innovation is still a difficult, scary thing. And there's a lot of questions about not just protecting the customer, protecting the data, but also protecting the relationship, right? How do we make sure that this doesn't go from being, you know, our customer to this FinTech's customer, right? We need to maintain the value of that relationship. So I think those are all things that the bank wrestles with. You know, I I think they are not, they are not likely on their own to ever say like, yeah, let's, you know, the majority of banks aren't likely on their own to have this epiphany we wanna just open up, right? They are always going to be predisposed to say, no, we want to stay very close. We want to you know, keep our customers close, not give other folks access to that data, not give other folks access to our customers because we want that revenue. We want that relationship. If we crack the door for them to go do some other thing with some other provider, does that crack the door to the whole relationship leaving? So I don't, I think they are naturally predisposed to be very cautious and, and sort of uh, hesitant to take part in that. So to, to drive real change, it probably does have to be regulatory. Um, but you know, at Payrex, we obviously believe that we can convince banks that it is in their own best interest to partner with firms like ourselves and, and to drive solutions that way and that there is a solution that can provide value to them and their customers.
1: Good.
0: Let's change to another topic before we get in real trouble. Um, <laughs> innovation spend and uh fintech- fintech partnerships kind of uh post uh coronavirus uh, pandemic shock um so certainly there has been this focus on um on partnerships um. But is there is there really the, the kind of pace of partnerships um, that would be expected or you know what is what has been happening on this kind of post-COVID dynamic in terms of innovation and innovation spending, Bianca?
1: Yeah, well, I mean we have definitely seen you know, bank, big bank partnerships with big tech companies, but that's no surprising mean, that happens all the time. Uh, the question in the survey that we ran as part of INV really was looking at a one to two year kind of time period. So I think it's kind of hard to tell whether that, you know, 70 or so percent that said that they would be increasing innovation spend and that 60 to 70 percent that said they were going to increase or significantly increase fintech partnerships. Um, it's kind of hard to gauge that based on just how much time has passed so far, but you're definitely seeing, I mean, when we speak with people in the industry, there's definitely a change um, in terms of like the timeline for how long it takes to develop a product. That's definitely been accelerated. And I think to John's earlier point, banks are looking to spin up these sorts of products and solutions quickly. and it's much faster to do it via a FinTech that's kind of dedicated, you know, their time and life basically to this one particular aspect of banking. Sure. Sure. The,
0: the, what was interesting, John, I mean, Bianca, what you, you know, what the, the BI team found and um, is, and, and, and I'm kind of extrapolating, it seems that most of the very recent initiatives um, are tied to um, mobile application enhancement, refinement, and so on, and not um, as much on the payment side. Now, you know, gross payment volumes in, in the economy are down, so I get that, um, but still, you know, is what, what do you kind of read into that, John? I mean, and, and does it support what you're seeing? But, you know, from what we've seen, most of the current activity, um, the projects, the near-term, short-term projects are more kind of mobile app, you know, feature focused. Um, and, and that goes with uh, usage numbers that are kind of, you know, going through the roof, obviously
2: yeah I think that you know I think the banks are trying to catch up to where the market is, and the market shifted so quickly to mobile, and so many banks got left kind of behind with that experience and now they're trying to catch up to that and and particularly as you look at the large banks and some of the mobile tools they've rolled out are you know are are really really good and so you know the market is trying to catch up to that it's a market driven event um, and so the market is trying to catch up to that you know in the payment space in the you know we're specifically focused on the b2b side but um you know i think again banks tend to be by nature and for good reason they tend to wait and see what you know where the trend firmly is before they before they act and that's to protect their customers and um their fiduciary responsibility but um you know, we're starting to see where we bring value is on the payment side, and it's more on the you know we bring a lot of value both to the customer but also to the bank in streamlining processes. And so that's where, where we think there's a lot of opportunity. Having worked at two large banks, it always shocked me until the day you know I left my uh, my last large bank, how many processes were manual, right? How many processes? but why isn't this out the door yet? Oh, it's, it's waiting for JJ to push the button so it can go out the door. Right. And you're like that. There's a person in the bank that does that. Um, So, you know, that's where, where we try and drive innovation and, and, you know, we feel like driving innovation there on the payment side can create both a better experience for the customer and reduce costs dramatically for the bank. So that's where we feel like we're starting to see more interest from banks that are more, you know, forward-leaning and more progressive, saying, "Hey, how can we make this a better experience for our customers?" At the same time, you know, reduce costs, particularly during work work from home. You know, work from home is probably something that is a net benefit to us at Payrex because we drive a lot of a lot of automation on the back end um, for our partners.
0: Have you noticed, like, if you if you if you kind of take a if you gauge? banker sentiments or attitudes um even kind of like at a deal level like mm-hmm. are the deals that that are coming up now versus pre coronavirus you know h- how are they different like or like or if i can frame it like is the is there ur- is the urgency different in any way or is it kind of somewhat the same process, the same uh, considerations, the same specifications, kind of thing?
2: So I think the process. I think the process is the same, and it still can be a long, cumbersome process with a lot of of folks in an organization that need to be involved and need to approve um, a transaction. So I think the process is probably similar. Um, you know, I think the interest is is it seems to be as high as ever, um, and I don't know if that's because people have a little more time in their day. You know, they're not they're not rushing all over town with meetings. They're sitting at their desk, and so maybe they have a little more time in their day to think about some of these things. But we've also seen, I th- I think what we've really seen is a shift from where what part of our value prop lands with customers right so before it might have been more around hey we can create a much better experience for your customers with a brand new suite of products going to help you retain more customers going to help you win new customers drive new revenue before that may have been the part that stuck more now it's hey the back end is totally automated so a process that today results in hundreds of manual reentries a month or hundreds of phone calls from your ops team to a customer a month now goes to zero. That's probably the value prop that jumps out to them initially as, okay, that's really important because we have all these people working from home and we're trying to maximize resources.
0: And that, that kind of wasn't the case before. Just sort of, would you blame that on just kind of inertia?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think, um, you know, I think, I think that it was something that people valued, but it wasn't necessarily the number one thing, right? So maybe of, of our value propositions, the order of, of how they stack those values has shifted a little bit with improving operations, streamlining operations has moved more to the top of that. To list the top, to the top, they, right. As they try and you know just streamline operations, you know, given okay. the, the instructions. Uh, Bianca, so what do we
0: have uh, on tap for next week?
1: Yeah, next week we're going to be looking, um, a deep dive on implications of who wins the election and how that might impact banking and fintech policy. And obviously we've been follow- following the huge spike in um, mobile and online banking adoption. So taking a look at how is that going to impact uh, banks kind of strategy around branches? Are they still as important as they were before?
0: I, I have no idea. <laughs> um. <laughs> So, uh, John, uh, thank you so much for being with us. We really appreciate it. Bianca, of course, thank you. Thank you all for, uh, for, for visiting with us um, and um, for uh, listening to FinTech Unfiltered. Um, please email us at info at and follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn. And of course, uh, visit us on uh, bankinnovation.net. We have uh, our Bank Innovation Build Conference coming up next month, and I hope you'll check that out at bankinnovationbuild.com. Thanks so much for joining us, and until next time, keep it unfiltered. Thanks, everyone.